0: Take your Bible, turn to Proverbs four. Book of Proverbs in the middle of your Bible. Proverbs four. It is Father's Day here in 2023, and you know, dads are such a vital, vital role to the health of the family. This is not to say that God can't work in the absence of a father, he does. And for many, God is their only father they know. I think about what God did with Timothy, this young man who we don't know who his father was other than he was a Greek. And if he was around, he may have been around or he may not have been around. But, but uh, Paul took a role of being a spiritual father to Timothy and helped his spiritual growth along the way. But dads are just so needed in our cultures and in our, in our homes and, and, and when I read the book of Proverbs, is I, I have preached through many Proverbs before, we often read the book of Proverbs as a, as, from the perspective of the young person. We, you know, It's a manual for, for, for life, a manual for living. And so many of the first nine chapters of Proverbs begin something like, hear my son, the instruction of a father. And we often, at least I have in the past, put myself in the place of the son listening to the instruction I'm receiving from the word of God. But as I was preparing for a message this year for Father's Day, uh, I was thinking about this passage of Scripture and others, and it it occurred to me to think of it from this perspective. What if we listen uh, to the book of Proverbs and read God's Word here from the perspective, not of a young person, but what obligation do parents, specifically fathers, have to our children? What does the Bible show us about the responsibilities dads have to their sons and daughters? And what does, what does Proverbs teach us about the role fathers should play in the education of their sons and daughters? Because here's the thing. Fathers often push aside their responsibility to teach and disciple. They push it off to moms. I've noticed this in, in our culture. I don't know if this is an American thing or a human thing, but a lot of times men think of their position as being an outside-the-home position, and a wife's position is inside-the-home position. A lot of traditional men think this way. They think, well, I work outside. I bring home the bacon so mom can stay home, and, and, and or mom works too, or whatever the situation is, but it's her job to educate the kids, or to make sure the kids are clothed, and, or to teach them. If, if they don't have their manners, or if they don't know something, it's the mom's fault. In the dad's mind, that's often how he thinks, But I I want you to think, and I want you to look at what the Bible has to say today, because God has given fathers a calling of responsibility to their families and to their children, and God has given this calling and responsibility to dads, and God's expectation for fathers is, is sky high. God has high expectations for fathers, especially related to our responsibility to lead and teach our families in the Word of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his blessing on our service. Father, we ask you to give us guidance and wisdom as we open your word today. We thank you for the power and the simple power of your word that exposes our own selfishness and sinfulness so often. Lord, give us mercy. I pray you would help us to follow you and that we might be able to obey you. We know we can only obey you through the power of your spirit. None of this is attainable without the work of God in our lives. Help us to forsake self-righteousness and pursue you have our heart totally wrapped up in obeying you and loving you with all of our being. Help us be a good example as fathers to our children, to our family. And I pray, God, that we would shine as a light in a dark world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, the book of Proverbs was written by Solomon. It's a textbook for education for his sons. Solomon was the second king. In the Davidic line of the unified kingdom, of course, there was Saul, but then there was David and Solomon. His father, of course, was King David. You might remember many stories about King David. But God here, through this inspired scripture we have Proverbs 4, has given us the responsibility. What is this responsibility that a father has for his family? First, I want you to notice your outline in your bulletin, a father must teach his children when they are young. He must teach his children when they are young. Verse 1, hear, my children, the instruction of a father and give attention to no understanding. I give you good doctrine. Do not forsake my law. First, a father must take time to teach. This is so simple, but it's so important. A father must take time to teach. The first and most obvious step is that a father must take time out of his schedule to actually speak to his children about truth. He must be willing to sit with his children, to speak with his children, to take moments of opportunity to teach. And too many dads are too busy with work, busy with hobbies, busy with our own plans that we never take the time necessary to teach truth to your sons and daughters. You need to be teaching truth. You see these verses? Hear, my children, the instruction of a father, a father's instruction that flows out of his life. But it's also his words. Give attention and know my understanding, for I give good Teaching good doctrine, do not forsake my law. I want you to also notice, as I've been looking through the book of Proverbs and thinking about the the role of a father in teaching. There are so many passages, so many verses, like the next one I'm going to show you, that take on a new light when you consider it from this perspective of a father's responsibility. Did you know a mother and a father have the responsibility to partner together in their teaching? Look at this. He says, "My son, hear the instruction of your father." and do not forsake the law of your mother. This is what's called synonymous or synthetic parallelism in Hebrew poetry. In other words, these two lines are essentially saying the same thing, just slightly different details that is the 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 father is giving instruction to his sons and the mother is giving a law to her sons both the father and the mother are involved and you need to be partnering with your spouse to teach your children it is not enough that one of you has it and one of you doesn't you need to partner together and take time to teach notice how they're dealing with the same children they're having the same biblical perspective they're acting as teammates They're probably covering the same ground, but you know there's a different way that a mom teaches and a different way that a dad teaches. And it's so true that we need both perspectives. Husbands and wives should be teammates in pursuing the growth, the education, discipleship of their children. And then in chapter 3 and verse 12, I want you to read this verse with me, that God tells us that we should teach and correct as God teaches and corrects. The Bible gives us examples of how we should parent. For whom the Lord loves, he corrects just as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you love your children, you're going to correct them. Our world today wants parents to affirm their children. Our world today wants parents to listen to their children and believe everything they tell them. I don't know who these people are, but they don't have kids. (laughs) If you have kids, you know that it's your job to correct your children and stop your children from doing the things they want to do and pointing them to the things they ought to do. My kids would eat ice cream for every meal if they could. They've tried. We have to stop our youngest from doing what she wants to do. She wants to do nothing but enjoy life. She loves ice cream. She would eat ice cream all the time just the other day. um, I think Jenna gave her some ice cream. I didn't know that. And so she asked me for some ice cream. So you know what I did? I gave her some ice cream. How do you think her brothers and sisters were responding to this? Were they happy that she received a double blessing? Of course not. (laughs) We must teach and correct. Correct as God corrects. How does God correct? Truth with love. You cannot just shout at your children. Can you imagine if God just shouted at you? In his power and in his authority, if God shouted at you from the heavens, he would appear like Zeus from Greek mythology throwing lightning bolts. And that's what a lot of dads are like. They throw lightning bolts at their kids and shout at their kids to get in order, and they don't have any compassion and love for correction. Love while correcting. In the same way, so often often, on the other side, the flip side of this is to be too compassionate in the sense that to be too loving, to be too soft and not recognize the responsibility of correction. You must speak truth with love. You must correct your children because you love them, not in spite of your love for them. Because you love them, you correct them. God does this with us, so we should do it With our children, as we teach our children what seem like obvious truths, we must be careful not to talk down to them. Which is why I believe that you must remember the days of your youth. Look at verse 3 through 4. When I was my father's son, tender and the only one on the side of my mother, he also taught me and said to me, Let your heart retain my words, keep my commandments. And fathers need to be careful not to discourage their children or cause them to sin by being needlessly provocative in their parenting. We all have seen this. We know what it looks like. It's the tough dad who thinks he's doing his children a favor by being so tough on them that the children respond in anger or by breaking down. He has forgotten that he too was once young. He says, remember, I was a son just like you. I'm going to flip this around and ask you fathers, do you remember that you were once a boy? And you once were foolish, and you once were weak, and you once did not understand, and you too said stupid things, and you too did foolish things, and you too made mistakes, and you too lied, and you too deceived, and all these things. Originally, this passage was written by Solomon to speak to his sons about how he was bringing them the legacy of truth. Solomon was not being unfair with his sons by giving them this instruction. Think about how hard it would be for someone like Solomon, the wisest man ever to live, to teach his sons. to to put himself in their shoes as he teaches them truth. And now you think it's hard for you to lower yourself, to put yourself in the position to teach young children? That's why I love Vacation Bible School. I love children's ministry. Dads, more of you need to be teaching with your wife in children's ministry. You know why? It helps you remember the days of your youth. So many people think of themselves so high and mighty. They think of themselves as they are at work, respected, respected, their opinion is well thought of. You know who doesn't care about your opinion? Second graders. <laughs> they only care if you love them. They don't care if you can make more money by changing some of your investments into a different vehicle. They don't care except if you love them. And so many men have missed this point you need to remember that it is important to remember the days of your youth. Why is this important? There are two warnings I have. The first is a warning against discouragement. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 21, it says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. If you provoke your kids, it'll make them discouraged. You want to beat down your kid? It's not proper. Remember the days of your youth. How do you do this? How do you discourage your kids? Well, I've seen dads do it in three ways. I've seen this in three ways. I'm sure there are more. I've seen dads make comparisons. Comparisons with other kids. Why can't you be like Tommy Jones? He's so athletic. He's so smart. He's so fun to be around. Some other kid. I've heard parents do this to their kid. Why can't you be like so-and-so? Comparisons between the children in your family. Well, you know, the younger brother never had this problem. Your sister always gets her homework done on time. Why can't you be like so-and-so? They always make their bed. Comparisons between your children and your childhood. When I was a kid, we never spoke back to our parents. When I was a kid, we never watched TV. When I was a kid, we never complained about the weather. When I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. That is is not helpful. If you are doing comparisons, you might be provoking your sons and discouraging them. Maybe expectations is a second one. You really ought to be smarter than this, you say helping them with homework, and you say, are you, are, are you serious? You, you don't understand what this is? Who's teaching you? If if you would have worked harder, you would have made the baseball team. Or if you tried harder, you might get a date. All of these things, expectations, comparisons, and then public rebuke. I have, it has is, it is, it is grieved my heart. I have heard people talk bad about their kids in public, and, and that will provoke them. I've heard parents say, well, she's just not that smart. He's just such a sloppy kid. He reminds me of his mother, and we don't expect much out of him. You know, you can discourage your kids so quickly by saying the wrong thing. Don't be a discouragement by provoking your sons. And secondly, don't. there's a warning against provoking them and pushing their buttons. In fact, the same word is used here, provoke, but it gives a little bit different meaning in Ephesians 6 4, where he says, you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Rather than stirring your children to anger, have a goals set, an endpoint you want for them, which is godly training. So let's look at this godly training. Let's get off the negative and get towards the positive, that he must promote wisdom over foolishness. Look at verses 5 through 9, as Solomon recalls the instruction he did receive from his father about the nature of wisdom and the importance of pursuing wisdom. Here, the father gives emphasis on embracing wisdom and rejecting what is foolish. Look at verse 5. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forget, nor turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. She will preserve you. Love her. She will keep you. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom in all you're getting. Get understanding. Exalt her. She will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head the ornament of grace, a crown of glory, she will deliver to you. Fathers, honest question. Do you promote good and noble and wise things to your sons and daughters? Or do you promote foolishness? Are you a fun dad who watches trashy movies and garbage TV? Are you filled with frivolity? Or do they know that your heart is the fear of the Lord? I, I, I think about Proverbs 1-7, which says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise are, uh, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Dads need to promote wisdom over foolishness. And, and there's nothing wrong with being a fun dad. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. But there are many of us dads who, who, who don't talk about serious topics. And, and kids want to talk about serious things. As your kids get older, they want to think about philosophy. They want to think about truth. They want to think about the existence of God. They want to think about morality. They want to think about how to live in this world. And if you're not engaging with them and talking with them, they will talk to somebody about that stuff. They will pursue knowledge somewhere. They will get wisdom somewhere. They will look for it. You need to engage them and show them the truth and the wisdom and the fear of the Lord. Pursue wisdom with them. Don't let their only memories be frivolity. Baseball games are great. Sports are awesome. I love playing with my kids. I love doing sports and going places with my kids and doing fun things. But you also need to spend time talking about truth. Teach your children to listen to the voice of wisdom. In Proverbs one twenty, they give a picture, uh, the Bible gives a picture of Lady Wisdom calling aloud in a street corner. (laughs) Wisdom calls aloud outside. She raises her voice in the open squares. This is far different from the call they will hear, the call of foolishness. In fact, in Proverbs 8, we have does not wisdom cry out, understanding lift up her voice. She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the highway where the paths meet. She cries out by the gate to the entry of the city, the entrance of all the doors. To you, O men, I call. My voice is to the sons of men. O you simple ones, understand prudence. And you foolish, be of understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. From the opening of my lips will come right things from my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips, and all the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Verse 9, they are all plain to him who understands, and right to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction, not silver. Knowledge rather than choice gold, for wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that one may desire cannot be compared with her. The book of Proverbs describes for us Two main speakers, the wisdom lady, the lady of wisdom who speaks in public and says, listen to me, and the lady of foolishness who also speaks in public and calls to the same foolish young men and says, come to me. And it's the job of a parent to say you need to learn the difference between lady wisdom and lady folly. And a wisdom is so important for a father to speak to his children. Speak wisdom to your children, and secondly, direct your children's gaze to the future. Wisdom is tied up in the future instead of the present. Think about this. Foolishness is all about right now. It's about pleasure right now. Wisdom is about the consequences, the results, the long-term effects of right behavior over time. So you need to direct your children's gaze to out there and not right here. Does that make sense? Suffering now so you can have long-term benefit needs convincing because you've got to be willing to suffer now and you've got to believe you've got to have faith that what they what you've been told and what you've been taught is true and not everybody believes that some people would rather have benefit now and if i have bad consequences so what at least i had the benefit now but wisdom is saying you delay pleasure now for the blessing later Direct them to the future, and that will give them hope for a long life. Look at verse 10. Hear, my son, receive my saying, and the years of your life will be many. He can look forward to life, and his life's years will be many if he listens and receives the truth. This is repeated in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. Give them hope for a long life, and give them hope for a good life. It's one thing for life to be long. It's another thing entirely for life to be good. You can have a long life and it'd be miserable. You could have a short life and it be good. A parent should direct his children's gaze to a good future. Verse 11, I have taught you in the way of wisdom. I have led you in the right paths. When you walk, when you live, your steps will not be what? Hindered. When you run, you will not what? Stumble take firm hold of instruction. Do not let go. Keep her. She is your life. The road of wisdom is leading in the right paths. And when you walk, you will have a smooth road, good sailing, good walk, not falling. When you run, you will not stumble. This is a metaphor for a living life. If you embrace wisdom, you will not stumble. Verse 13, you will have a good life when you take hold and don't let this go. Guard her. She is your life. And what's the result of this? The parents receive great joy from this. Proverbs 23, 24, and 25 says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and mother be glad. Let her, her bore you rejoice. Great joy comes to those who teach their children to be wise. Warn them. Or give them hope for a long life. Give them hope for a good life and warn them about the lies of the wicked. In these next few verses, I want you to notice all the words related to warning and avoidance, about running away. He says in verse 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of evil. Avoid it. Do not travel on it. Turn away from it and pass on. For they do not sleep unless they have done evil. Their sleep is taken away from them unless they make someone fall, for they eat the bread of wickedness. They drink the wine of violence. And their path is the, and, But the path of the just is like the shining sun. It shines even brighter unto the perfect day. The way of the wickedness is like darkness. They don't even know what makes them stumble. You need to warn your sons and your daughters about the dangers that await. This world is not a safe place. Notice the accurate description of the wicked in verse 16. They don't sleep unless they've done evil. Their bread and their food is wickedness. Their drink is violence. What a contrast to verse 18. Look at verse 18. He says, but the path of the righteous, the just, is like the shining sun that shines brighter until the perfect day. Here's a picture of progress and of light. It's like the sun that shines and improves as time goes on. It's like in the morning when you first start to see the light. If you're up early in the morning and you're taking a walk and it's still dark and you start to see the the hints of sunlight, you're like, oh, there's the sun. No, it's not the sun yet. It's coming. But the hints of rays start to come up and then you start to see the sunrise and then barely above the horizon, there's the sun. And then it begins to rise. And as it comes, the whole world or where you are is bathed in light. And this is the picture of righteousness and of wisdom. At first, it's just a little bit. And over time, give it time. Over time, the light comes and you're able to see everything before you. The contrast of someone who rejects wisdom is that they live in huge darkness, deep darkness. They stumble and they don't know why they stumble. I did that just the other day. I got up in the middle of the night and someone had left something on the floor of my bedroom. Who would do that? I think it might have been me. But I kicked it on my way to the bathroom. Fortunately, it was just a basket. (coughs) So I didn't hurt myself. But that's a horrible thing. My uncle one time got up in the middle of the night and accidentally took a left-hand turn where he shouldn't have and fell down a flight of stairs. That was awful. Broke his neck. He survived it. But it's horrible. You know, when when you're in the dark, you can't see what's around you. You get injured. You don't know why. Have you ever had that experience? You walked into a door... When we first moved into our house on, on um, Pointset Drive where we live now, it's in the middle of a neighborhood. It has no street lamps where we are. We had no street lights on our on our on our road, and our house is very dark, and and uh, we love that at night. It didn't used to be that way. We used to live on a street that people it was at the it was at a T. So as people would come down the hill into our neighborhood, their headlights would shine into our bedroom closet window. And no matter how you close that door, you could see lights streaming across the, uh, the bedroom window, right? And then, and then on the back side of where we lived, there was a, 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 a processing plant, or a, I think it was a paper tube place, and in all the, all, there was a bump in the road, and, 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 and there were big 18-wheelers that all throughout the night, all throughout the day, would go on that road and go across that bump right over there and go, bam, 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 bam. You know, it was like three, three sounds right in a row. It happened every single time. And you know, the first few nights we stayed in that house, we were like, man, this place is loud, this place is noisy, this place lots of light everywhere, how are we going to sleep? We slept fine right? After a while, we got used to it. But then we moved to set where it was dark, 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 and quiet, quiet, quiet. My wife got up the first night and ran into a door. Literally walked into a door, face into the door. Bam! And she said, I didn't even see it. Like, it, I was used to, like, having ambient light. I had no idea what was happening. This happens, right? This is what living without wisdom is like. You get hit all the time. People say, I don't know what happened. I was just living my life, minding my own business. And all of a sudden, I'm poor, broke, and i nothing. My life's falling apart. My family's falling apart. I don't know what happened. Well, you rejected wisdom. That's what happened. Nine times out of ten, we are doing it to ourselves. Now, yes, sometimes things happen to us. Sometimes we are victims of circumstance. Yes, there are innocent victims where we are harmed by other people. Happens. It's tragic. It's awful. It happens to to many people. But you know the vast majority of the harm that we experience in this life where we don't know where it comes from, you just need to look in the mirror, friend. I'm talking to myself too. That when we reject wisdom, we stumble and we don't know what hit us. It's getting up in the middle of the night and running into a door because it's too dark in the house. That's what's happening. Turn the light of wisdom on. Turn wisdom on in your family And direct your children's gaze to the future. Warn them about the lies of the wicked. Proverbs 1, 10 through 19. I don't have time to go through this now. There's a long uh, discourse here. My son son of sinners entice thee. Do not consent. Do not go with them. Reject them. And it describes them in detail. We're going to skip that and go to uh, point three, which is a father must thirdly direct the affections of his children What are affections? Affections are the loves and the things that stir their hearts. The things that excite them. You can control that only so much. I understand this. But it's your job as a father and as a mother to direct the affections of your children. How do you do that? Well, first you establish them. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to all their flesh. The importance of words and sayings of the Father, don't let them escape you. Notice, keep them in the midst of your heart. Establish godly loves of your children. How do you do this? You point them to what is true and what is beautiful and what is good, you expose them to that which is true beautiful, and good. You expose them to the Word of God and not just to God's Word. You expose them to things that are true and beautiful and good. Our American culture today, to our shame, has embraced that which is ugly, that which is offensive, and that which is mediocre. As Christians, we must direct our affections to that which is true Beautiful and good, and you expose i 'm sorry, you direct and you establish godly affections by exposing your children to those things which are those are true beautiful and good, you expose them to those things, you direct them to those things, you show them what 's good, you know kids don 't understand this innately, you have to educate them as I mentioned earlier, kids would eat ice cream for every meal, they would eat chicken nuggets every meal you know I can have a nice when we make a, a, a dinner for our family. I get um, If we do a steak dinner at our house, I'll get a filet for Jenna and for me, and the kids, they get sirloins. Or maybe hamburgers. Why? And the kids are watching right now, I think. But (laughs) the reason is because they can't tell the difference. Well, if they could, they can't appreciate it. But I probably ought to occasionally give them a piece of my filet and say, hey, taste this. This is really good stuff. And then whet their appetite, so now I'm poor. Next time we do (laughs) it, now they know. See, if I'm feeding them hot dogs and chicken nuggets, and they say, what are you eating? Well, I'm eating steak. This is so bad. This is so terrible. You don't want anything. (laughs) You don't want this stuff. And, And then they taste it, and they say, now, wait a second. That's really good. This is how affections are established. You expose them to what's good. You don't lie to them. You expose them to what's good, and you share with them. You say, you want a taste of this good stuff? You want a taste of the real stuff? You want to talk about the truth? You want, you want to have a real conversation? You want to talk about this? You want to open your heart to truth? And you start giving them a piece, what they can digest, of the good stuff. And you know what will start happening is they'll start craving the good stuff. And when they eat their hot dog, they say, you know, I, I know there's something better than this out there somewhere. You see, that's what we need to be doing by establishing godly affections. And also we need to guard these godly affections, protect them. In verse 23, keep, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Everything comes from the heart. What you you create in your children, what you foster in your children in their heart, in their loves, in their affections will come out in their life. Put away from you a deceitful mouth. Put a perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Let your eyelids look right before you. Ponder the path of your feet. Let your ways be established. Don't turn to the right or left. Remove your foot from evil. Verse 24, it begins in the heart, the seat of human thinking and love. What sets your heart, what you set your heart on, will spring forward like a fountain into every area of your life. You cannot allow twisted loves, bad loves, bad desires in your heart, in your life without that love for what is wicked impacting you if you love what is distorted and wicked it will show it will work out you guard by confronting the twisted that which twists need to be put away you cannot allow it to be in the house it's like poison that must be avoided you put it away you destroy it you get rid of it verse 25 you encourage good thinking You teach them to look straight ahead. You give them focus, direction, and purpose. Aimlessness is not good for young people. People say kids will be kids. That's fine to a point. But you need to point them straight forward so they see where they're going. And let them consider the consequences of wickedness. Guard these godly affections that you're trying to inculcate in their lives. Guard their heart, verse 27, by staying away from evil because evil corrupts the desires of the heart. Bad behavior often changes your thinking. Bad behavior has an impact on truth. Often people compromise morally before they compromise theologically. People compromise in their morals, in their behavior, before they compromise in their doctrine, in their teaching, in their truth. If you engage in evil deeds, you will be twisted in your thinking and you'll begin to love what you ought not to to love, are you living up to the challenge and the responsibility God has given you? I have three basic points here at the end. For those who have failed already, and you say to yourself, Pastor Marshall, you just, this has been so discouraging because my kids are grown and I failed, or my kids are young and I failed, or I'm just a failure, or I got saved later in life and I, I failed, Whatever. Remember the promise of 1 John 1, 1.9. What does it say? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin. There's a couple things that must be required first. You need to recognize this is sin. Stop excusing it. Stop saying, well, you know, I'm just not very good at this. No. Parenting, being a dad, is not skill related. It's character related. Am I, am I willing to confess this is sin? Confess your sin. God will always do it. He is faithful, and he's, ju- he's right to do it, to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Confess today. Go before the Lord as we close in just a moment, as we have a moment of prayer to say, Lord, forgive me. I, I have failed you, and I'm sure all of us in some way, myself included, I've had moments of repentance this week where I've looked at my life, and I said, wow, Lord, I've, I have failed you in this area. I need to confess it and ask you to forgive me. But you know the amazing truth is that once you confess and forgive, once you confess, God promises to forgive, which means you've confessed it. You don't need to ever confess it again. It's done. Some of you have asked God to forgive you for the same sin 2,000 times. Do you not believe that God promises to forgive you? He says he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. And if you've asked God to forgive you, he has forgiven you. Secondly, for those of you who have been failed, some of you in this room say, yeah, it's great for you to say, but your dad's pretty great. My dad was terrible. You might be saying that. You might be saying, "You, you don't know my dad. My dad was a drunk. My dad was abusive. My dad did things I can't even talk about today. You might, be saying, you might be saying to me, my dad did this, my dad did that, my dad's in jail, my dad's gone, my dad committed murder, my dad committed theft, my dad did all these things. You might be saying that today. Some of you might be saying, I don't even know my dad. He abandoned me before I was even born. He was a no, was a no good low life, and I never met him. For those of you who have been failed, I would ask you to stop the cycle of sin now to make a change in your life that you don't have to be the one who failed you. You can reflect the heavenly father and how you parent. You can reflect Christ. You can reflect our heavenly father and how you parent. You can actually not be, you don't, you're not bound to be like your father if your father was a failure. Biology is not destiny. You can choose to obey God instead. And thirdly for those of you who are thankful, some of you in this room are saying, praise the Lord, I had a good dad, and praise the Lord, I'm trying my best to obey God. You should thank, thank your father for his investment in your life. If he's still living, you ought to call him and say thank you for what you did, because I guarantee you it was not without thought. Dads who teach their sons and daughters Christ do so with a great deal of thinking and a great deal of planning. It didn't just happen. Call him and thank him. And if he's no longer here, thank your heavenly father for giving you the father you had and for giving him a great father. All of us need to be careful because we are just a razor's edge at any moment between failure and success. And I would beg of you, if you find yourself on the success side today, not to get cocky. Don't get proud. Don't puff up and think to yourself, well, I've done all the right stuff. I'm a good guy. Stay on your face before the Lord and recognize who you are, a sinner saved by grace. On the other side of that, those of you who say, I try, but I fail, you are a razor's edge away from success For those who will come first in faith in Christ, knowing you have the Holy Spirit living in you and giving you all you need to live life, you can have success in teaching people the fear of the Lord. You can. God has given it all to us there. I hope that today you can accept God's challenge for fathers. If you're a father today and you'd rise up in your heart and you say, I will be the kind of man that I'm supposed to be by God's grace. Father, we ask today that you work in our hearts. I know without doubt that there are some who feel discouraged by this because of their past, because their dad's past, or because of a complicated number of reasons. I pray, God, that you would today give us in this moment, this quiet, I, those who need to, the opportunity to confess sin and say, Lord, please forgive me for my sin. Name it. Help us to name our sin to say this sin was wrong. I have sinned you and failed you, Lord, by this specific thing I've done. I have not done this or I have done this. Help me to embrace wisdom and teach my children to be the people they ought to be. Point them towards the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior and forgiver, redeemer and friend. And as we come to you, Lord, we just put it all on the altar and we ask you to help us be the fathers we ought to be in this world that rejects fatherhood, that rejects biblical manhood, that rejects order and rejects beauty and rejects goodness and rejects you and has rejected your son over and over again. Let us not look to the world for our examples. Let us look to the word and let us look to the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and represents or gives us the example to follow. Help us to love and speak truth. In Jesus' name, amen.